We are pleased to be joined this morning by the 29th District State Senator, May Flexer, who's checking in to update us on what's going on with the state legislature this morning. As uh, May has been involved in her position since uh, January 2015, sworn in to the Connecticut State Senate. May, you were a resident of the quiet corner farther to the east, but you love romantic Willimantic so much, you actually moved to Willimantic? I did, Wayne. Yes, I'm thrilled to be here. What's the attraction? The program and in this community. Um, you know, there were a lot of factors, but um, I have to say I couldn't have asked for a better place to have been in lockdown and, and during the pandemic with my neighbors than here in Willimantic over the last uh, year or so. I just think this is a wonderful community where there's a lot of diversity. There's a lot of people who love this town and really care about each other. And so who wouldn't want to be here? Sounds good to me. Now, job one, of course, for the last year has been the pandemic. And now we're getting light at the end of the tunnel is what everybody's saying. Tell me what you know about vaccine distribution in this area. Sure. Well, uh, thanks um, for having me this morning, Wayne. And, you know, before I, I, I answer that, I, I do just want to give you uh, some thanks because um, I hope that you know what important role you've played over the course of the last year in being a place where people could get consistent information. This has been a really scary time and having that local information, that, that up-to-date information about what's happening right here in our communities and our neighborhoods has been really important, and you've been really aggressive in making sure people had the right information and exactly what was going on. So I just want to thank you for that, especially, you know, at the beginning of this when it was really stressful. You were an important um, voice for people to hear to sort of get through a very stressful time. So I just want to take a moment to thank you. I appreciate that. Your check is in the mail as we try to keep people updated what's going on. And again, there is some good news in the last couple of weeks. There sure is some good news in the last couple of weeks. You know, Connecticut um, has been one of the strongest states in terms of, of getting people um, vaccinated and, and, and trying to have a system that, that works um, is it is a complicated system though and so um, you know in our area there are a lot of different entities that are providing vaccines uh, now um, the health districts Wyndham Hospital Generations Family Health Center has really been at the forefront of the, the, the vaccine distribution in in our region and and now a lot of the the private uh, pharmacies are also um, allowing for uh, vaccinations to take place so people can start to go uh, to get a vaccine at the Walmart in North Windham in our area as well. Um, I'm sure everyone's heard about how to sign up online through the VAM system, which is a little bit complicated. Um, there's a lot of volunteers that are out there to help people sign up for their vaccines. There's a great program that Another example of why this community is so great, there's a great program with students at Eastern Connecticut State University that are matching with folks that are qualified, primarily senior, seniors, to sign up for the, the vaccine uh, administration management system, the VAMS system that people have to register for. Um, and there's also a phone number, and I'll give that, if folks want to get a pen or a pencil real quick, I'll give that phone number out as well um, that people can call that's run by the United Way and the Department of Public Health to help um, make sure that people who don't have access to technology can still sign up um, for 
the the vaccine, and that phone number is 877-918-2224. And we'll talk more with the governor about that coming up next hour as well. Let me move on to some other topics, May, and you've been working on some election reforms. Some of those are being debated right now. Tell me about those. Yeah, so one of, um, you know, my main jobs last year was, um, you know, how do we ensure that Connecticut's elections can be administered without asking people to jeopardize their health or to be afraid that if they exercise their right to vote, that they might be at risk for um, getting COVID. And so last year, we were able to pass uh, a couple of bills in a overwhelmingly bipartisan fashion um, that allowed people, as everyone knows, to request an absentee ballot for and use for fear of COVID as a reason if they wanted, and uh, that folks would be able to either mail those ballots in or use a drop box that was located outside of all of our town halls uh, to cast their vote all the way up to and including Election Day. Now, that's something that we cannot do right now, generally, outside of the confines of the pandemic, because our state constitution oddly has very strict requirements around who can use an absentee ballot and for what reason. Uh, We have tried in the past to move those restrictions, and, and unfortunately, the question was worded in a way that wasn't very plain and wasn't easily... Um, understandable to people. And so we're working again this year to change Connecticut's constitution to make it possible for people to either vote by absentee ballot for a variety of excuses or for people to potentially vote early. So the priorities we're working on, um, I'm the chair of the Government Administration Elections Committee, and we're working closely with Secretary of State Denise Merrill to finally pass those constitutional amendments. We had passed the amendment to the Constitution two years ago, but unfortunately it didn't meet the huge bipartisan threshold that was necessary. We, we didn't get a single Republican vote in the state Senate two years ago for this. I'm hopeful that this year that will change and uh, we'll be able to have this on the ballot so that Connecticut can finally update its election laws and allow a lot more flexibility for people to exercise their right to vote. Is there a chance that there will be a bill passed to fine people for not voting? I heard there's a bill that would create a $20 fine for not voting. Yeah, um, that was a bill that, frankly, I was really frustrated by. I had been approached by the advocates for that concept as well, and I just thought it was a terrible idea. I know that in other countries, like in Australia, that is their system for a long time. That's their policy, that everybody votes, and if you don't vote, you get a fine. Look, I love voting. When I was a young person, I was very excited to vote for the first time. I can't imagine not wanting to participate, but I believe that sometimes not casting a vote is a way of casting a vote as well. And so I, I, that, that bill is, is dead, and I'm happy to be the one that gets to decide that it's dead. Something we don't hear in this area about a lot, but it's in your district. The proposed Killingly Energy Center. It would be a 650-megawatt gas-burning facility, and there's a lot of environmental groups who are opposed to the project. Have you talked about this project with Governor Lamont and the Council on Climate Change? There are people in this quiet corner that like to remain the last Green Valley. Yes. 
I have spoken with Governor Lamont extensively about this, and it would be great if you wanted to talk with him about it later today, too. Um, so this power plant proposal is bad for so many reasons. It's bad for our corner of the state um, because we are often the home to these kinds of facilities. Um, these power plants are often located in poor, whether they're rural or urban communities. They're almost always in communities like those in northeastern Connecticut or in our major cities. They don't get built in Greenwich or Simsbury. They get built in communities that are struggling. That's a problem for equity and fairness, first and foremost. It's a problem. Wyndham County has some of the highest rates for childhood asthma. Why is that? Because these facilities are next to us and in our communities. Killingly in particular, if this power plant were to be built, Killingly would be generating more electricity than any town in the state of Connecticut, except for the community of Waterford, where Millstone is located. That's just simply unfair. Killingly is already home to a natural gas uh, power generating plant. They shouldn't have to be home to another one. And frankly, uh, from a broader perspective for the whole state of Connecticut, that's not the future. The future is not generating our electricity through natural gas. This is this is a uh, this is not in line with our goals to creating more green energy and the governor's goals to making sure we're um, we're generating more of our, our electricity in a carbon-free way by 2040. Um, we just simply can't afford to have this kind of power plant built. It's unnecessary as well. The electricity that's going to be generated there has not been deemed to be necessary by ISO New England, which is the entity that that de determines how our energy structures and what our energy demand is throughout New England. Connecticut already bears a, a larger burden of that generation. We generate more electricity for ISO New England than we actually take up. In Connecticut, so as you can see, I can go on and on about why uh, this project isn't necessary. But the number one reason is that we need to make a stark shift right now. Climate change is an emergency. And we can't just say, oh, well, this power plant already started and it would be unfair to pause it now. We have to stop generating the kinds of plants that create this kind of pollution now. If we're going to stop the devastation that we're seeing in other parts of the country this week, with all of those people suffering in Texas and other places, these kinds of historic storms are a direct result of climate change. And if we don't wake up and realize that, we're going to see consistent suffering throughout our country and throughout the world like we've never seen before. State Senator May Flexer with us, and there are proposals in the state legislature to name portions of I-395 in Northeast Connecticut after two area veterans who passed away in the last couple of years, Calvin William Heath and the author who wrote about him, Joseph Lindley. You introduced the two bills on January 27th, and they're now with the Joint Committee on Transportation. Just give me the background of that. Sure. So, um, Calvin William Heath who was a, a gentleman from Northeastern Connecticut who had served our country bravely in Vietnam. Um, he had earned a Purple Heart, and when he came home, he had a great amount of, of difficulty um, in his life. And his life story was chronicled by Joe Lindley. And Joe Lindley had always thought that Calvin Heath's bravery in Vietnam was something that needed to be 
highlighted. And 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 Joe's book was an incredible um, read and, and and telling of of Calvin's story, both his heroic actions in in Vietnam where he saved lives, um, and also his the uh, difficulty he faced when he got home, and frankly, a, a tragic story that we all need to remember of how our government has many times and many occasions let down our veterans when they come home um, from bravely serving our country. And so um, I had met with Joe and other veterans um, many times about how to move forward a process of finding a piece of state road to honor um, Calvin Heath. And then unfortunately, shortly after one of my last meetings with Joe, he passed away. And um, Joe was a, a, a gentleman who was an author, as I've already mentioned. Um, he lived in the community of Thompson, and he gave back to our community in many different ways. He was a leader in various veterans organizations, was a leader in American Legion baseball. He served on the Thompson Board of Education. He was just a, a, a an incredible, um, dedicated community volunteer. He was exactly the kind of person that so many other veterans are, that when they serve their country in the military and then they're done with their military service, they often come home and find a way to serve um, to serve their community. And uh, that's what Joe Lindley did. And so I thought it was appropriate to try to find a stretch of road that would honor uh, his incredible service to our country and to our communities as well. May, you currently work as the inaugural executive director of Emerge Connecticut, the state affiliate of Emerge America, an organization that recruits, trains, and mentors Democratic women to run for office. Tell me more about that organization and how you maybe address young school-age girls about a future in politics, which is what you wound up doing with your life. Yes, thanks for asking about that, and it's great timing, Wayne. So, like you said, that's exactly what we do. We recruit, train, and mentor Democratic women to run for office, and we're actually looking for women right now, women of all ages. If you have any interest in potentially running for office, we're actually recruiting women for the training program that starts later this month. Um, if you go to our website, emergect.org, you can find out information on our application process. And we've been in Connecticut for three years. We've trained 82 women to run for office. Uh, Twelve of those women are now my colleagues in the Connecticut House uh, and Senate. And when women go through our training program and they put their names on the ballot in a November election, they win 72% of the time. So what we're trying to do is make sure that in every community in our state, when there's a vacancy in office, when, when, when there's a position for, for mayor or board of education or state representative or state senator or even Congress or United States Senate, that there's a, an eMERGE trained woman who knows how to run for office, who is ready to run and will win. And along those lines, give me your memories or feelings as you watch the inauguration, especially how you felt seeing the first woman being sworn in as vice president. Have you ever met Vice President Harris? I've never met Vice President Harris, but it was an absolutely, it was an incredible moment that I definitely, I definitely teared up and had goosebumps and just couldn't believe that this was, was finally happening. And it was particularly exciting because um, Vice President Harris was actually one of the inspirations for the founding of Emerge as a national organization, her experience running for office for the first time in California, where there was no network, there was no training, there was no roadmap on what to do when you decided you wanted to launch a campaign, 
was the inspiration for for the founding of Emerge. So it was um, really nice to um, be able to to watch that moment and and take in this point of pride for our country that that this barrier had finally been crossed. May, so good to get you on again, and we will get you on again down the road to update what's going on at the Capitol and other activities you're involved with. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you very much, Wayne. Good to talk with you. May Flexer, state senator from the 29th District, representing Brooklyn, Canterbury, Killingly, Mansfield, Putnam, Scotland, Thompson, and Wyndham on 14 WILI Willimantic and 95.3 FM.